Each week, Richard and Father Mark present a rigorous discussion of the Bible in a format short enough for your morning commute, but long enough to be substantive, posing difficult questions meant to keep you engaged. Over 24,000 episodes are downloaded each month at no charge. Please consider marking your level of support with a one-time donation or by pledging a small amount per episode. To learn more, please visit patreon.com forward slash Bible. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash Bible. Thank you. Hi, this is Father Mark Bulos with the Bible as Literature podcast. According to Google, to rationalize is to attempt to explain or justify one's own or another's behavior or attitude with logical, plausible reasons, even if these are not true or appropriate. According to Mark, people do this all the time. Is Jesus helping someone out at your expense? Explain with logical, plausible arguments that he is wrong. Are you trying to stop Jesus from helping others? Explain with logical, plausible arguments that you are doing the right thing and Jesus must be out of his mind. Is Jesus besieged by the mob on all sides because of you? Explain, albeit without logic, that he is working for the ruler of demons. Remember to conveniently ignore the fact that you are the one blocking the feet of him who brings good news, announces peace, brings glad tidings, and proclaims salvation, saying to Zion, your God reigns. After all, when you obstruct his path, you are doing the right thing, aren't you? Richard and I discuss the Gospel of Mark chapter 3 verses 13 to 27. This week's episode commemorates the one-year anniversary of the death of John Price and Jacob Flynn. May their memories be eternal. You're listening to the Bible as Literature. This is Father Mark Bulos. And this is Dr. Richard Benton. And you are listening to episode 151 of the Bible as Literature podcast. Yesterday at St. Elizabeth, we commemorated the one-year memorial of the passing of John Price, who died tragically in a car accident. And this morning, Richard and I have been reflecting on the implications of Mark for how we understand John's death. Life is not short because of the number of years. Life is short because of the number of years left. None of us know how many days, weeks, years we have left in our life. And seeing the urgency that Jesus is teaching in Mark, it just reminds me that this teaching that we're trying to continue we don't have time to put off teaching. We don't have time to delay the spread of the gospel. The world today is more dangerous than it has ever been in recent memory, which means that the urgency of getting this teaching out, of reaching people in positions of power, reaching people at all levels of institution, reaching people in our local neighborhoods with this teaching that reminds us that there's no difference between one type of human being and another type of human being. That there is no outcome more precious than fellowship with enemies. That peace comes through submission and through choosing to lose so that others, especially those whom you fear, 
can win. When we put others before ourselves, when we put the needs of other countries and other communities before our own needs, then there is hope. The cross brings hope. When Jesus called the apostles, as we've seen in just the short amount of time we've been looking at Mark, they had to be ready to drop everything immediately and follow him. And immediately is the word that Mark uses again and again, immediately. It is immediately an imperative that we sit down with our enemy, immediately. That doesn't even mean tomorrow. That means today. We have to find a way to find those who hate us, to find those who we're estranged from, and find a way that we can sit down with them in fellowship. The hope of the gospel is that a mob ready to beat up a black man or a homosexual or a Muslim, that a crazy mob on the street would have one among their number who may have heard the gospel at some point and who might be that one person to say, maybe we shouldn't do this, maybe we should calm down, maybe we should treat this person with respect or at least not cross this line. The hope of the gospel, this urgency in Mark, is that whoever has power anywhere on earth, before they press that button, before they make that command that sends the military in, before they approve another round of executions, they would remember that someone once told them what God said, that it is wrong to take life. That is the urgency of the gospel. It is that basic and that primal. We do not have time for fancy arguments. We have to remind everybody of what Jesus is rushing to do, which is to tell everybody that the most important thing, the only priority, is the love of neighbor, whomever or whatever that neighbor may be. And we pray that the sadness we feel from such a tragedy is not a sadness that paralyzes us, but we pray to God that it's a sadness that compels us to go and sit down with those who themselves are immersed in tragedy. How do we take the sadness and make it into something for the kingdom? So we store up our treasures in the kingdom, in the heavens, so that we can produce something from even this tragedy that befalls us. And the purpose of a memorial service in our tradition is to make sure that the memory of a young man like John Price is linked to the remembrance of this teaching so that when we hear of the urgency of Mark, we think of John Price. So that when we confront people with the gospel of love and of the cross, we do so in the name of John Price so that he would be remembered with Jesus Christ, our King, in the bosom of our father Abraham, to the glory of God the Father. And he went up on the mountain and summoned those whom he himself wanted, and they came to him, and he appointed twelve, so that they would be with him, and that he could send them out to preach. Interesting that it's twelve followers, twelve students, twelve disciples, twelve apostles. So they're both disciples. In other words, they're students, but they're apostles. They're going to be sent out. And it's 12 because of the 12 tribes of Israel. This is the function of the tribes. The function of the tribes in the Old Testament is to spread God's instruction to the four corners of the earth. And ultimately, with the 12, 
tribes so that anyone can be a part of Israel. Anyone is allowed to be grafted in, using the metaphor of Paul. But it's significant that the point, the primary job they have is to preach. They are to spread this teaching. Jesus is pressed to get everywhere he needs to go and to teach as much as he needs to teach. Even one person teaching full-time is not enough. He needs 13 people teaching full-time. So he brings the 12 in so that they're all teaching. The point is that they preach, that they teach, that they declare what Jesus is trying to proclaim. And in verse 15, the teaching and the preaching is linked to the casting out of demons and to have authority to cast out the demons. The secondary function of them is to cast out the demons. And the authority to cast out demons is grounded in the authority that's given by their ability to preach. So the function of the apostles, just like we saw with Jesus, is primarily to preach and teach, secondarily to cast out demons. Now, this is the thorn in Jesus's flesh because everyone gets these two mixed up. In the Gospel of Mark, and in the current day. This is an eternal problem with human beings because they think that the function of Jesus is to make people feel better. It is not to make people feel better. It is to make them feel worse through the gospel so that they might become better in their actions so that those around them might be better off because they received the teaching. And he appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, and James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to them he gave the name Boanerges, which means sons of thunder, and Andrew, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. All of these names have functional metaphoric value. You have characters that will betray Jesus. Judas, his name very clearly represents Jesus' family, Judea. This is not saying the Jews killed Jesus as the anti-Semites have always interpreted the gospel. It is saying that the Christians and the Jews and anyone who claims to be the good guy in scripture is the bad guy. One of the inner circle killed him. One of the people who not only heard the teaching but was sent out to further the teaching was the one who betrayed him. You have the name Peter, which we know means rock and has a functional value. You have James, which, like Judas, is linked to this functional name Judea. Yaakovos, Yaqub in Arabic and in Hebrew. It's all connected to Jacob, Israel, God's inside community. Even in the names, you feel the coming betrayal. Even if you haven't read Galatians and know how the pillars opposed Paul's gospel, anyone familiar with the language would be uncomfortable. It's like the name Voldemort in the Harry Potter series. The guy's name includes the word death. So you know there's a problem right out of the gate if you know Latin. And he came home to a house again. It's not his home. The way it sounds in English it sounds like Jesus had a long day and nobody wants to hang out in his living room. That's not what it says in the Greek. So again, he came to a house and the crowd gathered again to such an extent that they could not even eat a meal. So the crowd is gathering. There's an expectation again that Jesus is going to perform miracles and to perform healings and to give the crowd the bread and circuses, as we said last week, that they're looking for. But that's not Jesus' purpose. 
we just heard that he appointed the twelve to preach and to cast out false teaching, which is what the demons are, the spirit of false teaching. Because the spirit of truth, the spirit of God, is the cross, which is to put the needs of the other ahead of your own. That's what Jesus is doing. I don't know why this translation says, and he came home, because it is, like you say, Father, he came into a house. And we see every time Jesus goes inside, if he goes inside a city, he gets stuck. If he goes inside a house, he gets stuck. If he's even on land, he might get stuck. That's why he says, give me a boat so I can go out into the water. Everyone keeps pressing on Jesus and clinging to Jesus. The point is not to cling to Jesus. The point is the teaching. And the teaching must go out. The house and the city are the enemy of the teaching because they contain the teaching rather than proclaim the teaching. And in verse 21, this morning, Richard, you and I did some work on the Greek. We have a terrible translation. In the New American Standard Bible, it says, When his own people heard of this, they went out to take custody of him, for they were saying he has lost his senses. But the Greek does not say, When his own people heard of this. Akusandes iparaftu ex ilfon. When those by him who heard him. It doesn't say, his people who heard of this, those by him who heard him, which means it's the people in the mob who are in close proximity to him, who hear him teaching. Hearing those by him went out to lay hold of him. And why is it that when he teaches, they want to bind him? He's supposed to go out and teach. And when they hear him, they want to grab him because, oh, he sounds crazy. He spoke the gospel, which is the gospel of the crucifixion, and they said, the guy is nuts. And so what do they do? They want to take the strong man down. Not only that, there are all these people around who want to have their people healed. They want to get him to run his trick so he can get these people out so we can finally get to our meal. Jesus, hurry up and heal all these people. They're standing here. You're standing around gabbing. Is there some way you could finally heal these people so we can finally sit down and eat? The scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, he is possessed by Beelzebul, and he casts out demons by the ruler of demons. And he called them to himself and began speaking to them in parables, how can Satan cast out Satan? They come from Jerusalem, and it's interesting also, you have to understand in Hebrew and in Greek, Jerusalem is always up. Whenever you go from Jerusalem to anywhere else, you always go down. In Greek, you can play with this metaphor. You have these scribes in Jerusalem coming down to Jesus. And what do they do when they come down to Jesus? They judge him. They lay judgment upon him. And they say, well, the only one who can cast out demons like this would be someone who's related to demons. It takes one to know one. Birds of a feather flock together. This is what the scribes think. As they see, see him cast out demons. But the question is, are they hearing him? Well, how can they hear him when the ones who heard him by him went out to grab hold of him? Those who want the healing prevent him from preaching. So then those who come down, they see him healing. They see him casting out demons. But do they hear the word? Probably not. I want folks to understand the depth of the scandal in this section of Mark. Jesus just appointed the 12 to go out and preach. Jesus has been working his head off to go out and preach. Everyone's been trying to stop Jesus. And now the people who 
by their very presence, admit that being around Jesus is a credit to them. When they hear that Jesus isn't saying what they want him to say, they oppose him. They are opposing the gospel. And in the Bible, in the New Testament, the function Satan is that which opposes the gospel. So someone is playing Satan here, but it's not what the scribes think. The question is who? Who is playing Satan? And that is a very serious matter to accuse someone of playing Satan, of opposing Jesus Christ. And he called them to himself and began speaking to them in parables. How can Satan cast out Satan? So don't forget, the scribes and the Pharisees are chickens. They don't like talking directly to Jesus. So they were all talking by themselves among themselves. Obviously, they can't hear Jesus. But Jesus calls them to him. Why? Not to cast out demons the way we think it's going to be casting out demons by speaking mumbo-jumbo and casting a spell. Jesus is going to cast out demons the way that Jesus casts out demons, which is, come to me and I'm going to teach you. We'll see how well the teaching works on you, how fleshy or how hard your heart is, whether you can actually absorb this teaching or not. So come over by here and I will teach you by parables and we'll see if you can understand. If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. Now, it's interesting that you have among the 12 tribes the representation of two kingdoms, the northern kingdom of Samaria and the southern kingdom of Judea. And the point is that if the people of God were rallied around the Torah, there would not have been two kingdoms in the Old Testament. But they were interested in playing the same game that the Egyptians played and that now the Romans are playing and that the scribes and the Pharisees and Mark are playing. They're interested in politics. They're interested in position. David was called to be a shepherd, but he made out of himself a king. That's why you had war and intrigue and division, a kingdom divided against itself. And now that kind of insidious, self-serving worldview is getting in the way of the gospel. The 12 tribes, those who were nearby hearing Jesus speak, are now fighting him. Jesus is laying out some clear logic here. You say that I can only cast out demons if I'm related to the demons. But of course, how can demons cast themselves out? What Jesus is trying to do is to change their mind by really getting them to listen to what they're saying in the context of Scripture Previously, he had to go against the illogic of their attack in talking about the Sabbath and healing on the Sabbath, for which reason the scribes and the Pharisees already attacked him twice, and he had to use scripture against them so they could understand the lack of logic in their very presuppositions. But here's the implication of the logic, and this is what I was getting at earlier. Since Satan can't stand against Satan, and I'm the Messiah carrying the scroll of the law. If you're standing against me, you're the Satanas. And again, when you think about Israel's function and how it did not live up to its high calling to preach, when Jesus talks about the kingdom being divided against itself, it's no joke. There is a scroll and there are people who are fighting the scroll, and that is the chief accusation in the New Testament. If a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. The house cannot survive internal attack. The scribes are trying to cast 
Jesus out. They're trying to get Jesus to stop teaching. They're trying to get Jesus to become irrelevant by undermining his reputation and calling him a demon or affiliated with demons. And what he's saying is, even if I were a demon, what you're saying doesn't make sense. He's trying to cast out the demons, which are their basic inability to hear what scripture is teaching and what they need to be following. The house can't stand against itself. How can you even understand scripture if your own head is not in order? If Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but he is finished. But no one can enter the strong man's house and plunder his property unless he first binds the strong man and then he will plunder his house. And this is the slap. If this were a meme like that famous Batman meme with Batman and Robin, Batman would be slapping Robin and saying, don't you get it? You're Satan. It's you. You are grabbing the strong man and seizing him. They're trying to get Jesus to stop teaching. And it's interesting that he was grabbed earlier. The ones who were by him, who heard him, were trying to lay hold of him. And here he's saying that you can't pull down Satan's house without pulling down the head of the house. Jesus is besieged on both sides by those who want to stop him. He's bound in the house. And so this is why Jesus has to continue to go out because Jesus has to be free. And I don't mean Jesus has to be free in a kumbaya way. He has to be ready and able to teach at any time, anywhere, and even one person's not enough. He needs to recruit a whole room full of people in order to go and do this teaching. So I want to remind everyone to go out and visit us on EphesusSchool.org. Like us on Facebook. Join the conversation. We'd love to hear your feedback, your comments, your questions, so that we can continue to do what Jesus is asking us to do in Mark, which is to preach and to teach. Thank you very much. Great episode. Take care, Dr. Father. just heard the Bible as literature. Thanks for listening. The Bible as Literature is a production of the Ephesus School Network.